listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly masterclass interviews on topics to help you make your first or next step in business the right one. I'm your host, Alex Sanfilippo. For many new organizations and entrepreneurs, marketing ends up turning into a time-wasting mess. In today's episode, I'm bringing back a friend of the podcast, Scott Miller. Scott served the Franklin Covey Group as their CMO for many years, and he is also the author of multiple best-selling books, including Marketing Mess to Brand Success, that we will be talking about in this episode. Today, Scott is going to share four ideas with us that will help us turn our marketing efforts into successful strategies to grow our brands. For links to resources that will be mentioned during this episode, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 096. And now here is my conversation with my friend, Scott Miller. Scott, welcome back to the Creating a Brand podcast. Alex, thank you for the platform and for shining your spotlight on me. I'm grateful. Yeah, I'm really glad to have you back here. Uh, I was looking at the last time you were on the show, and that was our 25th episode. And that's when we talked about your previous book in this series that we're going to cover today, which is Management Mess to Leadership Success. I want to say thank you for giving me an opportunity so early on. I believe I was sitting in my living room with a little tiny mic. <laughs> it's all I had at that point, but you gave me a shot back then. Thank you for that. You know, uh, no. Thank you. Thank you for having the confidence and the trust and in inviting me back on. So I'm honored again to be here. I appreciate your confidence in me. Yeah, absolutely. And today we're going to be talking through some points from Marketing Mess to Brand Success, which is the second book in your Mess to Success series. And I want to say that you're a really transparent author. And I say that because you talk about 30 challenges for transforming your organization's brand or your own. And these 30 messes are all things from your own experience. Like you just transparently say like, here's what I learned the hard way over and over again. So what made you decide to share all this and write this book specifically in the second one in the series? Well, as you mentioned, the first book was called Management Mess to Leadership Success. And that really was a, as you said, a raw, real, relatable look at my own successful, but not without messes career. Mm -hmm. And so after hosting a podcast myself like you do and reading you know, literally thousands of leadership books over the course of my three-decade career, there were very few books that talked about the underbelly of leadership, the downside of being a marketer or an entrepreneur for that matter, right? Or a, a business owner or a solopreneur. So I wanted to write a series of books that was very positive in terms of aspiration, but was extremely practical in terms of, okay, let's talk serious, right? What is it really like to be a leader? What's it like to be a marketer? So the premise is based on the fact that we all have messes. Everybody knows them. Everyone's talking about them. Why not just own them? Like own your mess. Because when you as the leader, as the founder, as the owner, when you create a culture where you're comfortable talking about your fears, your messes, your mistakes, you make it safe for others to discuss theirs as well. Not to wallow in them, not to languish in the mess, but to move to success. So the whole book series, the Mess of Success series, is about calling out the messes of my career, or in some cases, careers that I've noticed, and sharing the insight, the vulnerability. So upstart leaders, founders, entrepreneurs, people at all levels of leadership can not step in the same pothole that I stepped in, right? Is to give back and say, hey, avoid this pothole coming up on the left. Don't do what I do. Don't say what I said. And I think it's been a successful formula. 
Oh, I agree. I think that it's a really great way to to write a book. Uh, I love the transparency in it. As a matter of fact, I really like the last book so much and this one, but we're going to get into that today. The last day that I was in my corporate job, it, you know this, it was actually December 7th, 2020. I haven't shared this story yet with the listeners, so I'm excited to share this real quick. My last day at the job when I was turning in my, my key, my computer, like I brought a whole bunch of stuff. I didn't realize how many things I accumulated over the 15-year career I had in aerospace, but uh, I was bringing that all back. And in my backpack, I kept with me, I had four copies of that book because me leaving the organization actually allowed, I was a senior director, and it allowed four people in the organization to move up to substantial new levels by me moving on. So I trained my replacement, their replacement kind of moved up. And I brought four copies of Management Mess to Leadership Success, brought four copies of that book. And what I did is I just passed out to all those people who got, I wrote them a little note and gave them that book and said, hey, this really helped me along the way in my journey. Hope it serves you well as I'm leaving the organization and walked out the door. It's kind of a cool moment, but I was really excited that that was the book I was able to give them. Uh, just because I, I love this series. I think what you're doing here is so important. So thanks again for it, Scott. Appreciate it. Alex, I'm touched. Thank you for sharing that. Um, hey, my wife thanks you for the money. But more importantly, <laughs> I know, I, honestly, I, 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 I'm, I'm touched by your appreciation for my style, but that you would feel enough to lend your reputation onto my book. So thank you for that. That's great to Absolutely. hear. Absolutely. Absolutely. Glad, glad to have you back you're again. Fearless. So, you're fearless. I love it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. That's, that's what every podcast host wants to hear, you know? So... <laughs> Um, so with that said, I'm ready to go ahead and dive into these topics we have today. I picked out four ideas from this book to help people turn their marketing mess into a brand success. So this is just four of the 30 challenges in this book. All were amazing. I had a little bit of trouble picking out the four I wanted to cover, but I think that they're going to be really good for the creating brand listeners. So real quick to give an overview of those four, it's don't only do what you know and like best, define your smallest viable market. More is not better. Better is better. And finally, set and challenge your quality standards. So with that said, Scott, if you're ready to dive in, I'm ready to go ahead and start going into these. Rock and roll. Cool. So first off, was it, it's actually challenge nine. Don't only do what you know and like best. Can you talk about this point a little bit? I think this is a challenge that every entry entrepreneur absolutely faces, right? Is If your passion is photography or you have a nail salon or it's digital communications or it's some kind of design shop, you're naturally going to gravitate towards the things that are most passionate to you, that are most validating, the things that you can find success in. And as a result of that, I think it's common that we then neglect the other parts of the business. Perhaps it's cash flow or it's invoicing or it's, you know, following up on collections or it's instituting better systems. And I think that the, the reason you got in the business you're in is because you had a fierce passion for what fueled you. But the downside of that is that because we focus on things that we love, we sometimes neglect the things that we don't love and it can sink us. Now, it might be that it might be that it's your Achilles heel. And many businesses go under because entrepreneurs get so fixated on the parts of the business that bring them perhaps validation they didn't have in their corporate job. And so you've got to be agile. You've got to be emotionally nimble enough to recognize when are you neglecting parts of the business, but when are you perhaps marketing in ways that you think you would respond to, but your clients wouldn't. It's just having that intellectual flexibility to recognize, am I spending my time and attention and passion on just those areas that fuel me or validate me or give me joy and resonance, or am I mature enough and broad enough to think, at, think about the other parts of the business that either I do need to pay more attention to or perhaps hire someone? more competent or smarter than me to tend to those as well. It's, I think 
the same reason we get into these businesses is the same reason they fail is we get myopically focused on certain parts and we neglect, you know, the rest of the, the, the farm, so to speak. It's a good point. I actually want to mention something else on this because I want to get your feedback on this, your thoughts. I realize something that when I'm talking to people that are just doing the things they know and like best, although it may even have some positive benefits, they're sometimes very blind to what they don't know. And, and they get kind of stuck on this. Have you ever seen that happen where it's like, it's kind of like a revelation of like, oh, really, I'm only doing what I know and like. I didn't even think about any other, any other perspective or anything like that. How can you tell somebody to kind of break out of that? I understand it, it takes some reflection and things like that. But what are your what are your thoughts to that point? Well, I think it's all grounded in your self-awareness, right? I mean, you know, uh, humble leaders are more concerned with what is right than being right. Mature leaders are self-aware. They're vulnerable. They're able to have a conversation to say, okay, so tell me, what do you think I'm doing well? What do you think I'm not doing well? They can ask their employees. They don't have to be right. You know, Liz Wiseman wrote a brilliant book called Multipliers. I think it's the best leadership book ever written. And in this, she talks about, you know, how important it is to not be the genius in the room, but to be the genius maker of others. And that as a, as a founder, as an owner, as a business leader, you aren't supposed to be the smartest person in the room. That's not your job. Your job is to be the pollinator of genius and talent is to be vulnerable enough and humble enough to step back and ask people, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? What am I doing right? Where should, where do you think my time should be spent? I think there's a correlation in ego and confidence that comes with ownership. And that's a dangerous combination. When you build your self-awareness, when you're able to solicit and receive feedback from anybody, vendors, clients, funders, investors, your new hire, your oldest hire. That's as a leader, you become more aware of, are you allocating your time in the proper way? Are your passions and talents aligned with the right part of the business? And are you comfortable enough to complement your shortcomings with other people? Hey, Alex Sanfilippo here, and I wanna take a quick moment to intentionally serve the world with you. Here's what I want you to do. Think of the one person you know who would most benefit from listening to this episode today. Now, I want you to send it to them, but also include an encouraging note explaining why you share this episode with them specifically. By doing this, you're helping me grow this podcast, and you're also adding value to the people you care about. With that said, thank you for your continued support. It means the world to me. And now, let's get back to today's episode. So moving on to challenge 11. And this is where you talk about defining your smallest viable yeah. market. Yeah. Well, Alex, you know, I mean, I'm an aggregator, right? I'm not sure I've ever had an original thought in my entire career. I like to bring the wisdom of other people to, you know, a democratization, so to speak. So this idea clearly calls from Seth Godin, right? Seth Godin is one of my heroes. I think he's phenomenal. He wrote what I think is the seminal marketing book called This Is Marketing about a year and a half ago. And with his permission, I co-opted the idea for the book. But- it's counterintuitive to a lot of entrepreneurs, to a lot of business leaders, right? You think, well, I need to have the largest market possible, right? Who's going to buy your product? Everyone. Who's going to read your book? Everyone. No, your book is not for everyone. Your product is not for everyone, right? I think too many people try to boil the ocean. It's tempting. You're proud of your idea. You think everybody should be buying your toothbrush? Probably not. So instead of falling into the traditional trap of, trying to boil the ocean, or what I call in the book, net fishing, 
casting a huge net out and catching every fish, including lots of tires and water skis and a few grouper and a few eels. Spearfish is think of what is your smallest viable market. Who, who is the first person that should subscribe to my podcast? What is their name? What is their profile? Problem do they have? Who's the second person that should buy my product? It's counterintuitive. It takes an unnatural level of discipline for a lot of leaders to think about their smallest viable market as opposed to their largest viable market. Because probably in their application for their small business loan or for their pitch to their investors, they talked about all the millions of people who need this product, right? That's great for your investor deck. Now let's get serious. What is the smallest subset of people that could buy your product and then be just delighted with it? and become brand ambassadors and passionate promoters and go out and sell for you on their behalf. It takes a lot of discipline and oftentimes it takes an unnatural level of focus to say no to other great marketing plans and marketing channels because you'll spread your bets too thin. I'd, I'd advise your listeners think about instead of what is the largest viable market, that's easy, that's easy. Hard to fulfill, easy to brainstorm on a whiteboard. What is the smallest viable market and how tightly can you define that? Because when you do that, then your assets can be deployed with remarkable return. Your messaging can be fiercely focused on their exact circumstance. Go read you know, Clayton Christensen's work around circumstance-based marketing, right? What is the exact circumstance your ideal client is in and how can you message and find them and you'll find your business will explode? This is such a good point. I actually had Seth on the show. It's at creatingabrand.com slash 074. And we talked about this point quite a bit. And immediately after, I actually wrote an article because I listened to somebody speaking. They're talking about how they're having trouble with their book because it wasn't changing the world. That's why they wrote it to change everyone's life. And, and, every, and I kind of, I had like this internal struggle because I just listened to Seth and like, I really got this idea. And I wrote an article that got quite a bit of hate, unfortunately, but I think I called it, please stop trying to change the world as long as lines. But my claim to fame in life is that Seth actually emailed me after re he read that article and emailed me and said, Hey, I really enjoyed this. And I was like, what? So like claim to fame. But uh, anyway, you gotta frame that one, you gotta right? frame that one, brother, print it off. <laughs> but the, the point here I think is really important. And like you said, it takes a level of self-discipline to not think how big this could be, but how small it could be at first, how you can really define that individual. So I think this point is just, this is such an important point here that a lot of people tend to skip. They think, what's the most I can get out of this instead of, hey, where can I begin with this thing? Yeah, I think it allows you to calibrate your investments, your time, your focus, and get uber clear on, again, what is the circumstance my ideal client is in? Am I calling it by the right name? Are we using the same language? Do I know where to find them? Do I know how to message to them? Do I know how to make them lifelong customers? So again, they will go out and ambassador for me as opposed to always being on the churn for an endless number of new clients. Now, obviously, everyone needs to calibrate this idea for their business and their product, but I think there's wisdom in this marketing challenge. Very few marketers have the discipline, because by the very nature of marketing, you're probably exercising your creative juices and all your, you know, your, your design ideas, and I'll try this and try that. Yeah, you'll be trying it five years from now as well. It's a good point. Actually, this is a great segue into challenge 13 from your book, which is more is not better. Better is better. Can you talk about this a little bit and how this kind of relates? Yeah, you know, there will always be more great ideas than there is capacity to execute them. And I think in our world today, 
there's so much focus on volume. I mentioned in the book and in the card deck, volume's great when it comes to online dating (laughs) (laughs) or beer (laughs) or pizza, but volume is not great when it comes to marketing. Your brand, your brand equity, your reputation is in direct correlation to your quality standards, right? Is to your reputation, to how, how effectively does your product work? How happy are your customers? How willing are they to promote you, refer you to somebody else? So again, there's a time for quantity and there's probably more times for quality. And I, I'd advise your listeners to think about the concept that Brendan Bouchard writes about. You know, Brendan Bouchard, of course, the famous um, everything, right? Book, <laughs> yeah. author, speaker, a good friend of mine. And in his recent book, High Performance Habits, he talks about this idea called PQO, PQO, prolific quality output, prolific quality output. You know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a great poster boy for this. I'm hosting two podcasts. I host a book club. I run a, a division of a company. I'm writing four books this year. I'm a columnist at Inc. Magazine. I'm a columnist at Utah. What? What? You can't do all of that with quality. So my books sell 50,000 copies, not 500,000 copies. And so for me, I follow the same process, right? I'm writing four books this year. And so perhaps I should take my own medicine because a lot of us are validated by the volume of work we do. And I think there's great wisdom and insight in more is not better. Better is better. In fact, of the things I just mentioned I am doing, I have stopped doing just that many because it was suffering, showing in my quality. So I am trying to follow this principle as much as anyone. It's a struggle for me. It's a challenge for me. I write about that quite transparently in the book. Yeah, you do. And in this chapter, you actually list out a, a list of just powerful questions in, in this chapter specifically that I thought were really good because it, it's one of these things that sometimes knowing what better is versus what more is can be difficult for some people because especially when you're first starting in business, you, you feel like you need to be doing a lot, especially when the dollars aren't rolling in yet, right? Like you're starting a business, you feel like, okay, I just need to be doing more, more and more, but that can be a vicious cycle. At some point, I find that a lot of people that reach that level of that old Chinese proverb, which is if you chase two rabbits, you have no dinner, right? Because you're not going to get them both. And I think people get stuck in that. So well said, Alex. You know, Clayton Christensen wrote a book with uh, Karen Dillon and a third author called How Will You Measure Your Life? I'm giving your readers a lot of book recommendations today. Phenomenal <laughs> book. How Will You Measure Your Life? And in this book, they reported a Harvard colleague who did a study that said that 93% of all, quote, successful companies achieved that financial success with what they called an emergent strategy, not a deliberate strategy, meaning that 93% of companies that achieve success do so with a different strategy than is the one they set out with. They had to be nimble and agile and change their mind. They were putting more bets on the table. They were just putting different bets on. They were, they, they, were, they were self-aware. They were humble enough to say, you know, this isn't working. Let's pivot here. They weren't putting more pans on the fire. They were just replacing it with perhaps a different pan. So to your point, be careful about when you get tempted to have, you know, every burner firing, you're going to have undercooked chicken on all of them. What a horrible metaphor. But you get the point, metaphor, you get the point <laughs> yeah, right? It's, I get know, it. Yeah. I'm clearly not a chef or a culinary expert. <laughs> and my sports metaphors are metaphors are even worse than that. <laughs> you know, you do re- reference food a lot in both these books, though. So I know that do you I? at least like to eat. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> 
I hadn't noticed that, but you're probably right. Good times. All right. So challenge 30 is the last one I want to end with here. This is to set and challenge your quality standards. We've kind of touched on this a little bit, but I'd like to get, dive a little bit more into that because quality is exceptionally important in today's world. I mean, it really goes back to the, what we just said, right, is at the end of the day, your reputation is merely the collection of all of your decisions, right? It's, it's, it's do you deliver on promises that you make? And look at Franklin Covey's brand, right? I was privileged to be an associate here for 25 years. I was an officer for 10 years. I've since left the firm. I consult, advise them. Um, I host their podcast. But I think one of the things that Franklin Covey is known for, just like Disney, where I worked for four years prior to Covey, Franklin Covey, is their quality. And no, no, nothing rivals the Disney experience. In consulting, nothing rivals the Franklin Covey experience, quality of our videos, quality of our consulting, quality of our products and materials. And so this is the idea of really just being fiercely obsessed with the quality of your deliverables, that your brand, your website, your functionality, your app, whatever it is, don't cut corners and constantly be willing to up your game. Don't become complacent. And it may be that someone in the firm, perhaps more junior than you, might have a, a better idea, might have a, a way to raise your quality. Because you are the owner or founder does not mean that your standard is always the highest. Because all of us become a bit fatigued and become complacent and maybe aren't as relevant on new trends and new competition. So again, you see similar themes here, right? Vulnerability, self-awareness, humility. Recognize that you are not the genius in the room. Your job is to be the genius maker of others, to ignite the genius of everybody, whether they're above you, beside you, or below you. And that sometimes when their quality might look different than yours and sometimes might even look better. Yeah. So I want to kind of hone in a little bit here on the challenge, your quality standards, because again, your, your background, everything that you've done with your teams, I mean, you, you've managed a lot of people. How do you continuously challenge these quality standards and how do you know when it's time to challenge them? Like, cause at some point you hit something you're like, this is great, but how do you continuously evolve and get better and improve? What does that look like for you and in, in your organization? Yeah. Yeah, I think here's the wisdom I would say. There's a fine line between being a perfectionist. No one wants to work for a perfectionist because it's never good enough. No one ever knows, are we winning, right? They're always asking mom and dad, are we there yet? So you don't want to be a perfectionist because nobody wants to work for a perfectionist. It's a black hole. There's a difference between being a perfectionist and constantly being humble enough to challenge your quality standard. Are we best in class? Is that a goal of ours? You know, perhaps your, perhaps your, your business model is not quality. Perhaps it's inventory terms, right? Perhaps it's, I, you know, I can't imagine it's not quality, but you know, maybe your value proposition is something different. But I think it just takes a level of introspection. It takes a, it takes a different kind of person that recognizes, I don't wanna be a perfectionist. I wanna micromanage people. I don't wanna crush people. But I want to create a culture where we're all striving for better, higher quality, that we're willing to be challenged by our peers. We're willing to have our ideas called out. We're willing to abandon what we think is a sacred cow for perhaps someone's better idea. And so I'd, I'd encourage your listeners to be really thinking about when are you, when are you struggling with always having to set the quality standard and then being comfortable with that. And are you able, without exhausting and fatiguing people, including yourself, to thrive and get ignited around innovating, counter-typing, prototyping, 
and kind of constantly moving up because if you don't, your competition is going to skunk you. So it's got to almost be a cultural imperative that we can win. We're comfortable saying we won. Let's celebrate. Let's toast the champagne. Let's go to Maui. Next week, we're going to raise our game. I think what perfectionists do is they never toast the champagne. They never go to Maui. They never gather everybody around and they get emotional. They say, thank you for your hard work. We crushed this. I'm so grateful. Everybody, two days off. Don't check your email. Don't check your voicemail. Go repair. Go take your wife or your husband or partner to the movies. Go have dinner on me. And 48 hours, we're going to come back and we're going to crush it again. you got to celebrate. And I think that's key to raising quality standards is recognizing to everybody, we did it. And now we're going to go take a next mountain. What happens is perfectionists just keep on hiking and there's no end. This is such a powerful point, man. And I've got to say this. You're kind of speaking to me with this one. Uh, my mom years ago bought me this really nice bottle of champagne. I think it was for my birthday or something like that. And my wife and I kept it sitting there for a year and a half because I've struggled with this perfectionist mindset. And about a year ago is when we finally opened the bottle for a very small achievement. But she's like, listen, you got to get over this. I wrote a, a blog post about that bottle of champagne that I said, uh, I think I call it something like, what an unopened bottle of champagne taught me about celebrating life. And I just didn't do that. And also, I've got a year and a half left not to date this podcast, but uh, my wife told me I have to take her to Maui before 10 years. So I've got a year and a half left here uh, to, to do that. So it's kind of funny you use those two things as a reference. But the, the point that you have here is just so powerful that we have to be willing to, to celebrate along the way. And like you're saying, that raises the bar of quality. I've never heard anyone quite say it like that. So I think that's a really powerful point that when we're getting started, it doesn't have to be perfect. Be proud of what you release. Be proud of what you do. Then celebrate that win along the way. Love this point, Scott. This is so powerful here. Well, you know, I was just going to, I was going to mention, you're too young for, to know this probably, but there was a famous journalist and comedian named Irma Bombeck. Have you ever heard that name? I have not. I'm sorry. So, so back in the seventies and eighties, there was a, a woman that was very well known in America called Irma Bombeck, kind of like a clean version of Roseanne, like a really clean, like a wholesome version of Roseanne. But she was also a journalist and a columnist and she was on Good Morning America. And if you know, if you're for your listeners that are over 40, they have some context for uh, Irma Bombeck. And Irma Bombeck wrote a series of books that are just absolute gems. But one of the concepts that she wrote about that always stuck with me, Alex, was she wrote something that she basically said, burn the damn rose-shaped candle. That, that, that candle that's sitting in your curio cabinet that's you know shaped like a rose that you've had for 40 years? No, take it out tonight, light it on fire at dinner, and burn the candle. And all of us have so many metaphorical and literal things in our business that are sacred cows. No, open the damn champagne. My father-in-law bought me a bottle of champagne a year and a half ago, you know, 300 bucks. I use it the next week. And he said, hold it for a special occasion. I'm like, this is a special occasion, you know, whatever the occasion was. And he was offended, but he was kind of from that generation where you would not burn the rose candle. I used it the next week. I might die next week. So, you know, you can celebrate too much. Don't celebrate people coming to work on time, right? Don't celebrate people because they answered their email. But as a leader, if you want to keep raising your quality standards, you'll be given the permission from your team to do that when they feel like you've acknowledged them achieving the previous standards. Man, this is such a powerful point. Scott, thank you so much for this. Before we close today, do you have any final thoughts on this topic of creating a brand success? Yeah, you know, the book that I wrote really speaks to marketers. 
But I'll tell you, I predict that the, the smallest viable market for this book is probably going to be salespeople. Because I think the biggest cancer in every organization is gossip. I think the second biggest cancer in every organization, regardless of size or longevity or tenure, is that constant tension between sales and marketing. You know, sales blaming marketing and marketing selling out sales. And that's a huge cancer. So the premise of this book is that you may be in marketing, but you're really in sales. And you need to constantly be understanding that you should be asking yourself, when am I afraid of being in sales? When am I afraid of hiding behind impressions, hiding behind likes, hiding behind the word brand, hiding behind the word brand equity? Let me tell you, you cannot staple brand equity to the back of your bank deposit slip. You cannot pay payroll off of brand equity. Now, maybe you can Procter & Gamble. I don't mean to diss brand equity, but every marketer has, needs to be in the business of revenue generation, cash flow, understanding your business model, how to read a P&L, what is our money-making model. So my big evangelization is for marketers, of which I was a chief marketing officer, make sure that you are comfortable enough to challenge when are you hiding behind different marketing campaigns and words like brand equity, and when are you willing to go out there and help marketing close a sale, collect the check, and put it in the bank? Because cash flow is the lifeblood of every business. And if you want to become an indispensable marketer, you will align yourself closely with the revenue side of the business while still maintaining a passion for viable assets like brand and brand equity. Love it, Scott. That is some great, some great final thoughts there. Great way to end this episode. Thanks for sharing your wisdom with us once again. I'm sure we'll have you back for the next book in the Mess Success series, which I'm excited about. So thanks again for being here, Scott. Appreciate you. My honor. Thanks for your friendship. Thank you, Alex. I really appreciate Scott's energy and passion on this topic of going from mess to success. And I want to challenge you to take action on at least one of the ideas that you heard from Scott during this episode. Additionally, I encourage you to go back and listen to the previous episode of the show where I interviewed Scott about leadership. I'll link to that in the show notes. Scott, thank you again for being a guest and sharing your wisdom with us today. To pick up a copy of Scott Miller's book, Marketing Mess to Brand Success, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 096. Thank you as always for listening. I'm looking forward to bringing you another Masterclass episode next week.